welcome to Same Minds. I'm Matya. And I'm Ellie. And we're probably the same person. So Ellie, this week I really was planning and I was like, I just have a ton of questions. But I cut most of them, so we only have a few questions. Alright, sounds good. The first question is, should we do things if it's already been done before? I mean, if you find enjoyment in it, go right ahead. If you don't like it, then why would you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know, because like, it feels sometimes that everything's sort of been thought, it's been done, it's been tried. Like, especially because for IB, we're supposed to write this massive essay, but they're not necessarily expecting us to find out something new or make a scientific discovery for this. It's mostly just like you're writing a long report in which you have to bring some critical insight. But most of the stuff that me and my friends are writing on, it's already been written, essentially. Yeah. I mean, if you're interested in it, though, it's still you discovering that and putting your th spin on it, which is a different contribution to that subject than we've had before. So that's my I answer mean, anyway. <laughs> I, I agree with all of that. I also just think sometimes it's good to not say anything. Mm. Especially if you're not, like, an expert in the field. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, there is that, but especially since you're doing it for school, like... Yeah. No, this is, like, they're, they're different things, certainly, but... I think to do something that's already been done, you have to kind of know enough about what's already been done to either have a spin on it or add, like, your own thoughts or, you know, change it up. I, I don't know. I think there is value to just doing things yourself, and I think it's worthwhile, but I also think it's good sometimes to say, I have an opinion, but I don't need to voice it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair point. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, next question. Let's go. Ooh. Why is the phrase, no offense, so offensive? <laughs> like, if someone... <laughs> Start the sentence off with no offense, I'm immediately offended. Yeah, you're just ready. You're ready to go. I think it's because for so long, people who just said offensive things and say no offense because they thought that that would make it okay. And we're all <laughs> like, it's still not okay. They're like, but I said no offense. So now every time you hear no offense, you're like, oh, shoot, how are you going to insult me this time? <laughs> every bone in your body is just prepared for the insult. It's just ready, like... You're, like, already preparing retorts to a bunch of different issues you think they could be offending you about. <laughs> Who's ready? <laughs> so past precedence is the answer. But it, it gets all weird when they say no offense after they've said something that could be in no way considered offensive. And you're like... <laughs> you're, like, really nice. No offense. And you're like, should I be offended? <laughs> is there a way... Like, is it a backhand compliment? Is there a way... In what you said that I could take it offensively? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay, last question. Why do we look for figureheads? And this is a question that assumes we are looking for figureheads. <laughs> okay. Because, I mean, this is especially for me. I can't think outside of the box. I can think very creatively within a box, but I need those guidelines. And I think that figureheads are that sort of guideline for humanity. You're like, this is what we value. This is what we should uh, prioritize. We should all try to fit within this. And you can have your own individual deviations, but this is the ideal. Unless you're talking about figureheads like 
in leadership roles, in which case it's more like this person represents those things I find valuable. And uh, though there are some like differences, they are the closest thing to what I think matters. I was thinking of it more in like the historical sense, mm. where we like in science, we like to think this person invented that and this person did this, where it's more like a slow culmination of discoveries and literature and thought kind of moved in the right direction. Like, it's not like someone woke up one day and invented something completely out of the blue, <laughs> generally. Uh, that's true. Um, sorry, were you going to say something else? I mean, like, we could say, like, Newton, where he just, like, or, like, yeah. Einstein, where they just, like, like creating formulas, but, like, still it's building off of all pre-existing scientific literature. So, I don't know. Um, I think, you know, as the human race, we kind of value that discovery, that new idea, even if it wasn't actually a new idea, but it's the one that, like, became popularized. It's the one that finally broke through that barrier between not quite there and Eureka, I've got it. And we're like, wow, all these people tried to understand this, but this person did. Even... That's not technically true, though, because they used all the past information given to them. Uh, but because they broke through that barrier, we tend to idealize... Idealize? Is that a word? <laughs> idealize <laughs> them over the people who came before them to, to put them there. Right. So what was the answer to why that you just gave there? Because <laughs> you said a lot of things. Uh, why? Because they were the one who finally did it. They didn't get almost there. Mm. They finally went yes so then in the case of like social movements okay where we think like rosa parks or martha Mar uh, martin yes <laughs> martin luther king why are we searching so much for figureheads there because like certainly they did some things but they mm. were not the only people and the large percent of effective social movement comes from the number of people mm. well i think that has to do especially in the case of Martin Luther King, as charisma. They chose him to represent the movement because he had the best way of describing what the movement was trying to do. Um, and then in the case of Rosa Parks, we see it, because now looking back, we see that kind of society as um, twisted, as wrong. And she was the first person that we kind of recorded, and I'm not sure that that's true, but she is a person that we recorded actively defying that regime for lack of a better word and so we're like wow that was really brave and we like this person and we're going to use this person as our kind of symbol because they defied something that goes against our values as a human that was a long answer hmm. i don't know if it made sense <laughs> <laughs> rosa parks is an interesting case too because it wasn't the first instance or even recorded instance of someone defying mm -hmm. the quote-unquote regime or power balance or whatever, Rosa Parks wasn't even the first woman to get fined for refusing to move from this, a seat in the bus. Mm. So it's just interesting that she's recognized. Yeah. Well, was she the most publicized out of those? Like, at the time? She might have been. I will say, I don't know a ton, but I'm pretty sure her life was basically dragged through the trash after that yeah. so so she might have just been the most public figure at the time with the people who disliked her actions saying this was bad 
but because of that it's also the most like publicly recorded and so we look at that and say that was good yay <laughs> <laughs> uh, a lot of help it does um sort of similar to that my what's your take comes directly from the fact that I'm taking a law class right now. <laughs> Fun. Love that. <laughs> what is your take on justice versus revenge? Yeah, that's hard, mm-hmm. right? Because I think especially in the case of the criminal justice system, usually I think the states, but I'm sure to some extent in Canada too, a lot of it is about punishment, mm-hmm. right? It's you go to jail and you get the death sentence or you go to jail and you sit potentially forever in a cell with poor amenities. And a lot of it isn't necessarily... Whoa, I just completely lost my train of thought. Uh, well, I can say what we kind of talked about in my class then. Is we were saying justice is like has more of a focus on rehabilitation and making them see what was kind of wrong about that while still paying paying their debt to society for harming another whereas revenge is more that like eye for an eye mentality usually it's enacted out of anger and it's just you hurt me so I'm going to hurt you in the same in an equal measure but the lines get really blurry (laughs) yeah because the whole paying back to society feels a lot like revenge. Mm. Yeah, and it's that line. Where is it punishment versus revenge? Like, is there a difference? What is that difference? This isn't really a question I can answer. It's just, like, <laughs> a question. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. I think, too, a lot of it is, like, how do we know people are rehabilitated and how do we trust mm-hmm. that they've legitimately changed? If the justice system puts someone in jail for, I don't know, like, on the extreme, murdering mm-hmm. someone, and then decides that that person's been rehabilitated, rehabilitated? Yeah. Rehabilitated. And then that person goes out and kills another person. The justice system has failed. Yeah. But technically, like, they're not rehabilitated, so in that way, the justice system has failed. But that person has still paid back the debt uh, for the first offense and then they'll pay another debt for the second offense um but that doesn't seem just it doesn't (laughs) it's kind of that what is the closest we can get to an ideal society while still remaining realist and some people disagree on where that line is and that's what makes life so hard like where is the the human error between the ideal and the reality and how can we eliminate as much human error as possible. Well, when you say it like that, you sound like a robot. <laughs> well, I was totally taking like the terms we use in science class when we have to we have to calculate human error in the experiment. <laughs> <laughs> uh. But yeah, life is a science experiment, guys. There we go. That's that's my hypothesis. <laughs> <laughs> that's your hypothesis. Oh, good. <laughs> so. Moving on from that special segment into our next special segment, the topical topic I have is on WhatsApp privacy policy change. So WhatsApp, a little while ago, announced they were going to do a cool little policy change. I heard about that. I don't know what it involves, though, so please. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I heard about it and I was like, okay, cool, accept conditions, move on with my life. (laughs) That was probably me. Uh, That was it. I was like, all right, good for them. 
one of our friends decided to move off of WhatsApp, yeah. and I was like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> Maybe I should have read them. What, what have yeah. they changed? <laughs> uh, so I went through and I looked into what changed, and the answer is not much. Okay. They changed some of their policies surrounding corporate data. So if you're part of a business, what they're doing with your information has changed. But if you are a regular Joe, like you or I on WhatsApp, eh, <laughs> like they haven't really changed anything that affects us. But there was a ton of misinformation in which someone was spreading that the change in policy meant that Facebook could access your data now. So that's what upset a lot of people. They're like, yeah, I don't want Facebook accessing my data because Facebook is clearly corrupt, <laughs> which like... Kind of, but, like, no more than other companies. Yeah, I think it's just you kind of notice it's corruption because it's so big. Anyway. And from there, I went on and I researched all of the Canadian privacy laws for our data usage. Whoa. So, <laughs> on that note, <laughs> the Canadian privacy laws are pretty clear. So, that we, we have two separate acts. We have the Privacy Act, which is, like, government data so it's basically the government knows stuff about you but they're mostly just going to use that information to like tax you and get you medical care so good <laughs> you know yeah okay and then we have the personal information protection and electronic documents act so this applies to all organizations but like you know specifically the online ones that are taking all of our data because mm -hmm. that's who has the most data. I feel like that's not explanatory. <laughs> uh, but there's basically 10 fair information principles that business have to follow. They have one, accountability, which basically means you have to follow the rules. That's the first rule. Mm -hmm. Good stuff. Fun. We have two, identifying purposes, which basically means that you have to know what you want the data for exactly, and you have to tell people what you're using their data for. So if I'm starting a business and I'm going to take your data but I'm going to use it, like, on dating sites. They use it to make the matches mm -hmm. better. They have to tell you that's what they're using the data for. Three, consent, which is that fun little agree-disagree. <laughs> which nobody looks at. Yeah. Four is limiting collection, which I think is interesting. They have to only collect da data for what they've said they're collecting data for, and they have to be clear and straightforward about the data that they're collecting. Mm -hmm. Which, like, makes sense, I guess. I just didn't really think about it. And limiting collection is actually part of the thing, which is why WhatsApp had to redo their privacy policy, because if they change what they're doing with the data in any way, they have to re-get your consent. They can't just see it, say, oh yeah, she said yes, you know, five years ago to us <laughs> collecting it for texting. So now we can clearly just take all her data and do whatever we mm -hmm. want with it. Like, that's unethical. Five, they have to limit use, disclosure, and retention, which basically is, like, you have to be safe with other people's data. You can't just be like, here, I got all of this, and I'm going to go leave it in a public park. <laughs> Hope that's good. Okay. Can't do I, that. I appreciate that. Six, accuracy, which I didn't really take notes on, and I don't really remember what that's about. So, sorry. They can't make up our data, maybe? I don't know. I guess? <laughs> I don't see why that's relevant, but I, yeah. Seven is safeguards, which again is don't leave information in a public mm -hmm. park, thank you. 
Eight is openness, which I think is interesting. Privacy policies should be easy to understand. Oh. So they shouldn't be full of that legal jargon. They should be easily accessible to everyone. They can't be like a 17-page legal document where no one's actually ever going to read them. So they have to actually be clear in some way. Hard to say if they're actually doing that all the time, but I've also never tried to read one. <laughs> so they could be. Um, I have tried to read one, and I found out they were selling my data to a third party in China. I was like... All right. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds about correct. I moved on. But, uh, <laughs> like, the wording is okay, at least from my standpoint, but there's a lot. Mm-hmm. But it technically, I would say, is clear. Anyway. Nine is individual access, which I thought was really interesting. Companies legally, if you ask them to give you your data have to give it to you, and they have to have a way for them to give it to you within 30 days. I actually uh, knew that one, because I watched a documentary about a guy who tried to get his data back, and they didn't, and then he had to file a Freedom of Information Act, and they still didn't, and then he's taken them to court, I think. Yeah, but you can request your data on WhatsApp, Mm -hmm. say, and they just give it to you. Like, there's a way to do it, which is relatively simple. I think it's interesting I don't think I would care. (laughs) Like, you know, I can see it. It just doesn't really impact me. And then 10 is challenging compliance, which basically means you have to have a way to receive Mm. feedback. Someone says, hey, all these rules, you're not following them? You have to go, oh, and then start following (laughs) the rules. Like, it's all pretty standard stuff. I thought it was interesting. Of course, the issue is how does one enforce all of these things? But... It's nice that the law sort of is clear in that mm-hmm. way. Very cool. Not related at all. But did you know that they use Brit- Britney Spears songs to scare off Somali pirates? I did know this because we've oh. seen the same Tumblr post. Oh, we have. But I, I, I went farther into it. Yeah. Uh, uh, their most common ones are Oops, I Did It Again and Baby One More Time. Because... Which are both good songs. <laughs> I know, but because it's such a, like a part of Western culture, which the Somali pirates do not love, they're like, eh. Did you fact check this? Yeah, I did. The Guardian oh. reported on it and a bunch of other sources, too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they're like, the article goes on to say, you know, she's preparing her, like, eighth album. Maybe they'll, like, stockpile it for use. <laughs> for use in scaring away pirates. <laughs> Oh, excellent. It's just awesome. I can just, like, imagine, like, you know, the, sh- the coastline just, like, blasting, like, toxic. <laughs> so good. On the note of recent news, and also music, this is my other topical topic, Taylor Swift is re-releasing her some of her older music. Yes! I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm a big Taylor Swift fan to listeners who don't know me. Do you know why she is, or are you just... Because she doesn't own it, right? Yeah, she had a she had a contract with the label, or with the former owner of the label, that every time she released a new album, she could buy one back. But the label came under new ownership, and they said, actually, we don't want to do that. Oh. So <laughs> she's re-recording so that she can own her own music, which is awesome. 
It's weird that she can just re-record and then own it. It feels like it should be a copyright issue. I don't know. I'm not really sure about the whole legal stuff about that. I just know that's why she's doing it. (laughs) Um, And she'll also be releasing, well, not new songs, but songs that we've never heard before. Because they're songs that she wrote in each, in the time of each album, but didn't make it onto the album. So I'm really excited for that. (laughs) (laughs) I love that she's gonna get, get her music back. Anyway. (laughs) So I saw this post on Pinterest, but I think it's from Tumblr. So there's a high chance you've already seen it. But it's basically talking about how terrifying Elsa would be from a political standpoint. What? (laughs) Because at the end of the the first movie, not not this is, uh, post first movie pre second movie. Okay. Um, she has like total control of her powers. She can make castles whenever she wants. She has no limit as far as we know. And if I mean, she does just create clothing. Yeah. So and if enemies attack, they'd have infinite fortresses and gigantic walls built around the capital city, essentially. And she can create artificial life. She created Marshmell, the, like, terrifying guard guy, which could be used in war, if needed. And (laughs) They really were quite ambiguous about her powers, And Olaf has a fully functional mind. Like, he has a personality, he has all of this. Yeah. Which she created. I'm not convinced that she didn't just create a snowman that got possessed. (laughs) Like, it wasn't related to her at all. (laughs) Yeah. And then... They they highlight this is the most important point. If she gets mad at your nation, you have no crops. She could just freeze it. She could starve you out until you submitted to whatever she wanted. I mean, that's more of a military power than a political power. She's essentially the best Genghis Khan. (laughs) Yeah, and she could could dominate your trade, too, because she could freeze the port and stop anyone from coming in. She could make herself your only trade partner. Today, we learned winter is the real weapon. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, the Trump, Napoleon, and Russia, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> anyway, just, I thought that was really cool, because I never, you don't think of a Disney princess as a military force to be reckoned with, right? But. <laughs> I mean, you maybe think Mubal. Oh, yeah, but true, true. Even then, not no. really. I have two news article titles. They're about the same thing. I'm just going to read them to you. Okay. The first one is, I don't think you're ready for this jelly. (laughs) Okay. And the second one is, space-born jellyfish hate life on Earth. (laughs) Well, if I was born in space, I probably wouldn't love Earth either. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Here's what they're about. Since before we were born, in the 1990s. Ooh, so long ago. <laughs> NASA was shooting jellyfish into space. <laughs> For what reason? You didn't see, but Ellie's <laughs> face was so good. The answer is, we don't know that much about jellyfish, but we do know that the way they understand gravity where they have, like, little ear crystals that help themselves orient themselves. Okay. Pretty much the same as the way we understand gravity. Alright. So we're like, we're gonna send a bunch of baby jellyfish up into space. (laughs) Of course we are. And then bring them back 
down to see how they are. Uh, and the answer is not great. The jellyfish <laughs> are not great when they come back, which feels self-explanatory. It definitely doesn't feel like we had to do this to figure this out. Wait, I have a clarifying matter because I definitely pictured something other than I think you're talking about. When we shot them into space, did we put them on like a spacecraft or did we just like yes. <laughs> floating around in the middle of space? You're just picturing NASA with a slingshot. <laughs> more like a more like those cannons like they shoot people out of at the circus. <laughs> No, yes, we did send them up, you know, in a rocket to a space station or something of the sort. We did not just (laughs) launch them into space and see what happened. What? (laughs) I was like, how did they breathe? But anyway. (laughs) No, they were still in spaceships. But basically, jellyfish, they're pretty much the same, except they didn't get anything to sense gravity, which makes sense because there wasn't much gravity. Uh, And then we brought them back to Earth. And they had a ton of vertigo. <laughs> so that's fun. Note to self, don't be born in space unless you want Earth vertigo. Ugh. Honestly, Earth is so last century anyway, we should just all live in space. <sighs> <laughs> we can be the fat people in E.T. E.T.? Wally? Wally? Not- oh my gosh. Hi! <laughs> oh! Actually, I was talking about that the other day. Sorry, this is a little off script, but we were talking about the other day because I was like, Dad, you know how you've always been worried, you know, with the new technology age, like, that's going to be us. We won't even be able to talk to people next to us. (laughs) He's like, yeah, I'm like, well, I don't think it's going to be because of advances in technology. I think it's going to be because because of this quarantine. We have not had human contact (laughs) over anything but a cell phone. For a ridiculous amount of time. I feel like I've been struggling so much with conversation (laughs) recently. Like, I just don't have talking points, nor do I (laughs) want to talk anymore. So someone will talk, and I'll just be like, "Mm mm-hmm, and then we'll just lapse into awkward silence. (laughs) And neither one has, like, the emotional strength to continue it. You're just like, all right. (laughs) Yeah, and then you're just kind of chilling in silence. And you're like, this is great. Good stuff. (laughs) Okay, I have three kind of just weird facts that I can't really go into depth on because it's like the fact and that's it. So I figured I'd group them together. Awesome. Uh, Wonderful. We like to make sure our unreliability comes in large swaths (laughs) instead of little bits at a time. So you can like discount one whole section instead of having to pick through. Anyway. (laughs) I mean, or just discount the entire thing, you know? Yeah, I did... I did fact trick them, but there isn't, like, much more to talk about other than the main headline. So, for one, point number one, McDonald's created broccoli that tastes like bubblegum. <laughs> they have that. <laughs> what? For real? Yeah. Why? I double checked it. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Because also, why haven't they released it? I think that they did a test audience, like, they did testing, like, they do with everything, and, um, the kids didn't like it. They're like, this is weird. Broccoli should taste like broccoli. And they're like, oh, all right, then. And then they were just like, well, this is done. Well, bubblegum isn't a flavor. Yeah. I'd like to clarify. (laughs) Bubblegum has flavors. It can be, like, mint-flavored. Or grape flavored, but bubblegum itself isn't a flavor. 
flavor. But what would you call the like original bubblegum flavor then? The one that's like pink sugar. <laughs> okay, so they created brownie that tastes like sugar, but it's this... just like mildly sweet. I don't. Like, I don't know. What's... I've never tried it. They discontinued it because kids didn't like it. At least put that in the supermarket. <laughs> but this begged the question: When has have you ever gone to McDonald's and seen broccoli on the menu? <laughs> like <laughs> it's not even like they wanted to increase sales on their product they're just like you know what we should have broccoli that tastes like bubblegum I, so much of that doesn't make any sense right because they didn't have broccoli to begin with no one's going to mcdonald's for a the healthy food or b the broccoli and then why would you discontinue it just because kids didn't like it you know how much traction you can get for having that in your store as a limited food? True. Like, if McDonald's came out with an ad campaign that was like, this month only, bubblegum tasting broccoli were the only one with legal rights to grow this, so you better eat it this month, you know how many people would go eat it? Um, well, I don't know for sure that it wasn't released. It might have been released, just not widely. It just said that it didn't I'm do well because it up. <laughs> because children didn't like it. Okay, fact number two. Firefighters use a wetting agent in their water, which means that technically they're making water wetter. But really, and that's misleading, but I just really like that headline that firefighters use wetting agents to make water wetter. <laughs> water wetter. They're not making water more wet, though. They're making it fight fire better. Well, yeah, they call it wetting agents, and they the goal is to, like, reduce the surface tension so that it's easier to, like, come out of the hose and stuff. But it's hmm. a wetting agent. And then, third fact, Scotland has 421 words specifically for snow. Well, because there's... We have... Lots. We have more words than that for snow or something. Okay, wait, what What other words are there for snow? There's, like, snow, there's blizzard, there's... Sleet. But is sleet the same thing as snow? Like, I feel like we have a significant number of English words for snow. <laughs> That's half the thing. And then the other one, I just want to read you some of them because I really like them. <laughs> um, Flindrikin. Is a slight snow shower and spitters, which is similar to spitting, but it can be rain or snow. And there's like sneeze and scalp. I just like them. That that's that's sneeze and scalp. <laughs> that's you. Uh, is a large snowflake, and sneeze is to begin a rain or snow. <laughs> I just like them. They're just really cute. Sorry, which. <laughs> Who has this many words Scotland, for snow? Scotland. 421. Okay, okay, because the there also are, like, 50 Eskimo words yes, for snow. Yes, that's included in the article, but it's lower down. It's saying, like, we know that these have a lot of them, but... Here, like, snowflake, frost. Is frost? Blizzard, snowbank. A lot of the... Because a lot of the words they have are just words where we would add descriptors. Oh, yeah. So, like, snow on ground. Yeah, that makes sense. Or fine snow. But they also have very specific, like, swirling snow, or small drops of snow, like we would say snowflake, or little, or little snowflake. Wait a second. Anyway, 
Okay, I want to return to the bubblegum <laughs> broccoli, because the guy talking about it is like, well, we sell the most salads of any place in America. So, by that logic, broccoli isn't a bad move? I guess so. But, like, you'd have to really campaign for it, because most people don't like broccoli anyway. Yeah, the reporting <laughs> is also weirdly sparse. Like, everyone has said they've done it, but no one has said what happened to it, other than it just kind of stopped. I don't know, maybe something went horribly wrong, and it's a massive cover-up that we've we've stumbled upon. We'll get, like, texts from the FBI or whatever telling us to back home. <laughs> around the fact that this isn't fake. I know, because when I read it, I was like, there's no way. And then I looked it up, and I was like, way? <sighs> <laughs> like, what? <laughs> there's no... Ah! Why did they get rid of it? It's the real... Like, why did they make it in the first place? And then why didn't they use it once they made it? On that note, <laughs> thank you so much for listening. Remember, we're probably the same person. You can email us at samemindspod at gmail.com, and we'll see you next week. Bye.